When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Stuff Studios in Dublin. Welcome to Motherfucklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, words from Ireland, and Danelhas. You can't spell Danelhas without Oz. Well, you Do can. I- <laughs> you, you can. Yeah. You can't spell Danelhas without Ahas, and if you put a thud on it, it would be Oz. Ahas. Danelhas, of course, being a democracy, and Ahas being happy. And I'm, I'm more than Ahas today. I'm air I'm air fucking beesh. <laughs> Because my good friend and co-host contributor, Padro Kivonig, has risen, has risen from the ranks of keyboard warrior to elected official. (laughs) One of my favorite moments of the election campaign was a tweet from um, a journalist who said, uh, Twitter's at the CAV official has just become South Dublin County Council's (laughs) councillor, Peter Kavanagh. So yeah, yeah, I'm on Corlor Padar Kuivanagh. I was very recently elected to serve the people of Clondalkin, where I was born and reared. And uh, yeah, I'm over the moon. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's great to be finally able to take part in season two because <laughs> I've been out knocking on doors and talking to people instead of sitting in a podcast studio. But I guess that's how you win elections. I guess so. You know, I guess so you, you can only get so far in the podcast vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- not that the podcast vote doesn't help. I won a seat by 39 votes. Literally every single, every tweet, every podcast, every everything helped. So to all the motherfucker listeners in Clondalkin who gave me a vote or even a high preference, Gramila Mogwif, because uh, wouldn't be here without you guys. That's fantastic. 39 votes. How many were spoiled? Oh, an inordinate amount. Oh, there was an incredible amount of spoiled votes and a disproportionately high amount of spoiled votes. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that we were asked to vote on three things. There was European election, Mm -hmm. local election, and there was the referendum. And a lot of people went in with one single issue on their mind or one single candidate in mind or whatever and would have spoiled the other two ballots. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there was a disproportionately high uh, number of votes. In the area that I I was, there was a... um, you know, there was a turnout of about 39%, which isn't great. But even in amongst that, there were over 500 non, um, non-valid non uh, ballot papers, which was just, it, that's huge. That's yeah. huge. And we, I, I know this has been kind of chat about that we, Irish people, we love the the blood sport, the kind of the spectacle. This is this is our cricket, the the, the, the five because <laughs> it takes five days yeah. before you know who's won. That basically proportional P or STV proportional representation single transferable vote is effectively yeah you know, our uh, our multi day our it's it's our um, it's our Monte Carlo Grand Prix our our, <laughs> our cricket our 
our many, many day event. It's to be honest with you. If you look at some of the um, the comments around it every year, and of course I'm guilty of this in in other years when I'm when I'm not running for election. It is a spectator sport in a big way, and you're all sitting there looking at going. Cavan is doing well now. He's after transferring well out of people before profit, and if he can just hang on and get a good whack off the shinners, then he'll stay ahead of Labour. <laughs> and, and that's exactly how it turns out. But like, of course, what you're doing is you're speculating on something that has already happened and we just don't know the result of so it's absolutely fascinating you're not you're not there's nothing the competitor can do mm-hmm. <laughs> at this stage it's like it's been done it's been yeah. done over the last it's been done over the last couple of weeks of campaigning the last uh, couple of months of building profile and talking to people the last couple of years of activism in the mm-hmm. community everything is done and you're just saying well it'll be interesting now to see how this falls and how it how it pans out but it really is and also you, you get a certain you get a certain level of candor from politicians in those days around the election results that you don't always get uh, in the weeks ahead on on kind of the questions and answers of the prime times or the or the equivalent programs where you know there's the kind of um, I'll, I let you let me finish I let you finish and <laughs> well I didn't interrupt you Derek so if you do <laughs> <laughs> the uh, yeah you do you get politicians basically treating it as as a as a game at this stage and and you know it's not really flippant it's not frivolous it's just kind of cathartic because you've been through a huge battle for weeks and weeks. And that's where you have your, uh, no, I let you finish if you let me finish, or, you know, I didn't interrupt you. And if you would just, if I could just say, if I could just say, if I could just say, <laughs> you do all of that in advance. But then, like, after the fact, everybody's absolutely drained. You're just sitting there. You can't win another vote. Once they start opening, once they open the ballot boxes and, and said, you can't win another vote in that election, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you can be, you can afford to be really honest and you can afford to go, you know what, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are that different. I think they're going to transfer well to each other. <laughs> And yet these are people who have spent the previous seven years saying, we're totally diametrically opposed. Mm. We're nothing like those lads. And they're like, no, we're hoping to get a big raft of transfers there now off the Fine Gael candidate. Mm. <laughs> it's, it, it is a fascinating process. And I think I think when people come to Ireland and they realise this is this is one of the things that we actually do look at electoral politics that way. And I think when you and I, like when you take an interest in other elections, as, as we, we, we both do, it's just not quite the same. The um, it's It's like... The American elections remind me sometimes of those those late Tyson boxing matches that were over in forty five seconds. The, <laughs> when he started, it's like the world champion Mike Tyson against uh, Jimmy Boxcar that we found down the train yard. Here you go. I was like, yeah, basically just wondering, you know, maybe he'll bite the ear, but but the, if, if there's a, nobody wants to pay per view for a first round knockout, and no, that's true. If it, if it's free to air, mm-hmm. I love watching boxing on RTE and TG Car, and I'm always hoping for an early round knockout. But God, if I've paid for the fight. I want 12 <laughs> rounds <laughs> I want the full on first fight between Rocky and Apollo Creed I want both men on the deck at the end st- struggling to stand up yeah like the, the first past the post system for a start I find it incredibly and deeply unfair and you know I, I'm amazed like there was a referendum in the UK recently where they decided to keep it the Lib Dems went into coalition with the um, with the Conservatives and one of their um you know, one of their their policy points, one of the promises they got was the chance to hold a referendum to shift to the alternative vote, a different system. Uh, that would have meant more representation for smaller parties in Parliament. Uh, like, the, the way it is over there is the Greens in um, in England and Wales, they can pick up a significant amount of votes. They could get as high as 15% of the votes in some areas. They could get as high as 10% in some areas. And yet, yeah. for the last two 
parliament sessions, we've had one MP because there's only one seat in which there's sort of an understanding that other left-leaning parties won't run against Caroline Lucas and she's able to hold a seat for the Greens, even though Labour tried to to renege on that uh, informal agreement and ran candidates against her recently. She's still held on well and she's won. But that's desperately unfair because you can basically govern for as little as 30% of the uh, of the people. You know, if you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a ward or in a constituency where you're the Conservative MP or you're the Conservative councillor, you can be elected with as little as 31-32% of the vote. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. at least in Ireland, it's multi-seat constituencies. So you don't even need to get 30% of the vote, but I represent X amount of people, you represent X amount of people, and we're all going to hold each other to account. And, and there's yeah. a healthy democracy inside every single constituency, inside every single local electoral area, inside every county council. And I, I do think it's it's eminently fairer than first-past-the-post systems, which are just... yeah. It's just gutting. I think so, because, I mean, look, that, um, John Major got more votes, more conservative votes than Thatcher ever did, but he lost loads of seats because he was getting these, you know, massive numbers in the home counties, but he wasn't, uh, but whereas uh, the, I think it was the, there was a split in Labour at the time when Thatcher, in Thatcher's early years, I think that... That led there. Yeah, there was there was there was a split. The um the the social democratic wing of Labour uh, mm-hmm. sort of a uh, uh, yeah the there was and, and that managed to keep Thatcher in power because she had a power base only in the home counties and you ended up with and it's kind of we've seen it again in in recent months over there with the change UK splitters leaving uh, Labour. And they're effectively going out there to damage Labour, which yeah. is like, okay, so you guys are like from the Labour Party, you're in a first-past-the-post system, and you're going out there to run candidates against the Labour Party and the Conservatives. All that's going to do is empower the Conservatives. If you look at the combined vote of a Labour candidate and a JGK candidate, you could have beaten Tories, you know? We need to have a telethon to end left-on-left violence. <laughs> well, first on the agenda is the split. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. We, it, it's... I. It's. I mean, without getting into too much detail, there's uh, some of the left on left squabbling is is uh, is mortifying. But I won't. I won't dwell because there's so much more. Particularly, better uh, you have been elected to represent your hometown, yeah. the 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 village of the larks, Clondalkin. The village of the larks. That's not one I've heard. <laughs> is that not what it's, is that not the name of Clondalkin? No. No, the village of the larks. Clondalkin is Dalkin's meadow. Um, the meadow of the larks. Is Dalkin a lark? <laughs> He's having a lark. Are we having a lark? <laughs> no. Okay. Dulcon's, Dulcon's a person's name. Um, I am from Clune Dulcon, the meadow of Dulcon, who was a uh, large landowner who granted uh, land to St. Cronon Makua uh, to build a monastery way, 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 way back when. One of the largest early Christian settlements, uh, early medieval Christian settlements in Ireland. And uh, yeah, I'm from there. I'm very, very proud to have stood for election there. I'm even prouder to have won, <laughs> which is really cool. Uh, and yeah, it was... Um, Look, it's amazing. There's such a there's such an incredible honor and privilege to actually get the trust of so many people who live in your area mm-hmm. and want to make that place better. And it's a massive constituency, like it's a massive local electoral area. It stretches all the way from the border of Kildare up at Hazelhatch down to the border of Wicklow at Britis. Uh, so there's a, a lot of geographical area. And I'm from the village of Clondalkin, right bank smack in the middle of it. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's a uh, Clondalkin was what made me. It made me a, it made me a Gaelgor because there's lots of Gaelga in Clondalkin and uh, making me a Gaelgor made me a podcaster. And mm-hmm. a podcaster may have made me a politician. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, ah, look, it's fabulous. It's a it's a great day for the parish. You know, we elected a lot of 
a lot of great people out there as well. Like there's um, another Grailgore from Clondalkin who went to my old school, Owen O'Brien, um, is an independent councillor there. Uh, is this she, the other Owen? The other Owen. He shares the same name with the high profile Sinn Féin TD who also lives in Clondalkin. So that was confusing in, in many is, respects. Is he from the, the, the skull as well? Yeah, he was, he was from the Grail School from Colossus Killian. So, okay, so this out. is a fairly massive like output from a one from one particular school from one particular school we have now provided 10% of the current councillors in South County Dublin uh, South Dublin County um, so Shane Moynihan is a Fianna Fáiler who ran in the Palmerstown Font Hill Ward and he was returned and one of my dearest friends Liam Sinclair uh, is a Green Party councillor like myself for the Tala area and uh, and then there's the independent Owen O'Brien, so that's four of us. And then you add in Hazel the Nortoon, the uh, socialist councillor for uh, Ballyfermot in uh, Dublin City Council. That's five county councillors to come from one small um, Gael, Gael skull. Um, this, uh, it's so funny, I've been dealing all morning with the people accusing the Gael skulls of being elitist again. This, it's going like, oh This man. is the point. And, and <laughs> I, I know you have a lot to say about this, so I'm going to kind of try and confine your answer uh, explicitly. The... The fact that Clondalkin did you know, has has a Gale school, a solid working class area, was granted this facility, has been. I mean, the fact that it has so many so many councils have emerged from it, and it has been been such part of the civic structure of the of the town. Yeah, well, the first thing I'll, 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 I hate to cut across, I hate to cut across you there. This is okay. just like prime time. Um, granted, is kind of a misnomer there because it was yeah. Winter Cronon, a community activist group in Clondalkin who worked very hard to establish the first Gael school in the area, the first primary school, school Cronon in Rathcool, and then Gael school Clondalkin in uh, yes in in Clondalkin and Kalosh to Killian um, in in the nineteen eighties. So I think that the school has sort of instilled us with this spirit of activism that if you want change, you know the Gandhi um, bomb. Be the change you want to see in the world, and, yeah. and I think it's kind of instilled in all of us that, and you know, it's a very mixed area. There are parts of Clondalkin that are very solidly working class, and there are parts of Clondalkin that are quite, as the Irish Times would say, leafy, because that's how we describe <laughs> middle class area. Because apparently the poor eat trees or something, but uh, yeah, leafy. Um, it's, so it's it's quite mixed. It's great, and and you know, we we draw in people to the Gael School from all walks of life, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. So we had in my in my school uh, in my year. Uh, we had, I think, we had two people hit six hundred points, which is incredible, uh, absolutely fantastic in the Leaving Cert. Back when, I don't know if, if six hundred points is even the, the max anymore. I think they there's have loads of extras now. You they have a new thing. It's seven hundred and forty mm. quiffles to a snitch. <laughs> like it's like I have no idea. It's all turned into Hogwarts since I left. Yeah. And then we had, you know, with some people who got fewer points than a triangle, but sure, that's not what they were there for. Like they weren't, you know what I mean? They they went on to apprenticeships and went on to do different things. They weren't academically focused. And I think that all oh, that's fine. Like you know, we need to we need to. Re- Realize that Gael School and if they if there is a weakness to Gael School, it's not that they're elitist. Is that perhaps they're too academically focused and there aren't. Yeah. I'd love to see Gael School and a focus on apprenticeships, focus on uh, vocational training, focus on work placements and things like that, as well as pushing people on to uh, the old school, the the university, particularly childcare. Yeah, well, that's that's what's needed. Like you know, because I think uh, the big thing now is, is I suppose that the that the the Irish language crashes seem to be a very uh, very hot in demand. I'm going to talk next about uh, about local government and the Irish language. Mm. Yeah, I think um, local government has a very strong role in putting forward the Irish language. Like there's there's little 
practical steps that can be done. Like, for example, the naming of new developments, new estates and things yes. like that. Like, And this is a big issue uh, in the area. Like, <laughs> without getting back to cartoon sectarianism, what the hell are we doing building places called Somerton Muse and stuff is- like that in, in, in Ireland? We have just incredible place names. And the Luganam Nacha, Timpel Natira, they're just amazing. Like, there's there, there's one, there's, there's a place up by my way, just out in the countryside, just outside Clondalkin, between Clondalkin and Newcastle. There's a lane called Ballinarelic. Mm. And like, so Balia, Balia on Relig, uh, the, the, the town of the cemetery. And like, there's no town there. There's yeah. no cemetery. But there was. But there was once. And this is fascinating. And, and we're in danger of completely and totally losing this just because some developer thinks if I call it Hampton Creek, it'll sell for 450 grand. Is that the thing? Do developers get to name it whatever they want? Developers get to put forward a name and, you know, local authorities get to have a say on it. Mm. And uh, I think in particular when it comes to public housing, it's the um, it's the local authority that chooses. But I think we do need to have a look at the Luganica that we're using and certainly some of them should be 100% Oscailga. There's, there's yeah. what, like, this should be no skin off anyone's nose. I would struggle to find anyone who would have a legitimate protest because they live in a place called Ordinary instead of King's Heights. Yeah. You know, it, it just, it, it really isn't a thing. It's not a thing and it's something we can do for the Irish language that makes the Irish language more pro- high profile. It looks good. It, you know, it allows people to, the, people are saying Irish from an early age. It doesn't matter where they're from. They're saying, oh, I live in Ordinary and oh, what's that mean? You know, it's Luganica are a fantastic way of putting forward the Irish language and yeah. local authorities just need to step up to the plate and make sure that we're not, Jeepers, building Tanland 2.0 over here, like, you know. It's, it does seem, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's because some of the builders made their money over there and kind of had their kind of, uh, they went over <laughs> and came back with all these, with their, with their inferiority complex kind of <laughs> aggravated. And there's, I, th- I think there was a Char- Charles Land and, uh, like a, I mean, which, which Charles are you referring to? There's a Charles Land, I think it's around with Varnum and it's like, Who's Charles? Yeah. Spit it out. <laughs> um, K.A. Charlotte. K.A. Charlotte. Kane Charlotte. Cahill. Cahill. Cain Cahill. Uh, as the son of someone who went over to work on building sites and carried yeah. a hod in England, I don't <laughs> think the inferiority complex is is uh, is universal. But yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, I, God, yeah, maybe that's exactly why. I think, to be honest with you, it's probably more on the dollar bill thing. Like, we all have aspirational living ideas, you know? Yeah. We, you know, I mean, I remember um, my good friend, Liam, who was also elected for Tallow. We, we grew up in the same housing estate in Clondalkin, and one day we had to go into the Glasgow and say, you know, why is your name, why is the, why is the name of your, your area that way? And we, we grew up yeah. in, a, in a, an estate called Cherrywood. And he came in and he said, I found out, said, uh, a builder thought the name was nice <laughs> and wanted to sell houses. So like mm. seven-year-old Lima had his finger on the pulse all the way back then. But yeah, it's a, I think it's really is, it's a, it's a question of optics and it's just nakedly a question of optics across the board. We're not calling it Somerton Mews or Hampton Heights or, you know, Charlesland because of any particular connection to those names. We're calling it because it looks good, it sounds good and it sells houses. Well, why not call it something Oscailga? Because it looks good, it sounds good, and yeah, sure, of course it'll sell houses. We've already seen like that people are more likely to... Um, and at the end of the day, look, it's housing. It's a captive... It's a completely and totally captive audience. The market is so yeah. shit for people my age or for people from my socioeconomic background that like, like we don't buy in Hampton Mews because it's called Hampton Mews. We buy because, oh, Christ, yeah. I can afford this house and it's available. And it's also close to the bus I can take to be in work in two hours. Like, you know, it's, like, yeah. we're not... <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, 
Somerton. I don't like the sound of that. I wouldn't buy that house. Patter, in this market, you could even sell a house in Bastardstown, Wexford. <laughs> and there really is, there is a, a place called Bastardstown in Wexford. Ballion Wastard. Yeah, there is. Uh, I, oh God, I love the Wexford place names. I love the Wexford place names. There's also the a Horace Town. There's, um, there's a Templar's Town. Oh yeah! Oh cool! Literally founded by the Knights Templar, and the church they built is still there. Very nice seafood restaurant across the road from it. Actually, it's very good. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's an Arthur's Town. There's a basically what happened was uh, when the Normans, when the Cambro Norman invaders of eleven of the eleven seventies, eleven sixty nine on, landed. They landed in Wexford, and they were given large tranches of land by the King of Leinster, Dermot McMurica, for getting him back on the throne. And so they immediately named him. So there's a Tancred's town named after Tancred. The, uh, um, there's a Butler's town named after William de Butler, who was the, the most famous Norman knight. He was a superstar of his time. He was like the, mm. the David Beckham of Norman knights. He would win all the tournaments and was world famous. Uh, there was uh, an Arthur's town. There's a Templar's town. There's a Bastard's town. That would have been named after um, a Norman knight whose nickname was the Bastard. Uh, so yeah, I, oh. I love it. If you go down, if you, it's well worth taking a little holiday down in Wexford and just driving around, even just to see, not only just to see the wonderful medieval ruins that are in incredible condition, but the, uh, the place names are class. That is the nerdiest thing I've ever done on this podcast. And that this is, episode is brought to that you is a by high Visit Wexford. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Visit Wexford. Like, get on down there to the sunny southeast. You can get strawberries. <laughs> Derek making a pitch for the Wexford Tourist Board right there. <laughs> Come on, lads. We sell them a chase out of you. <laughs> Strawberries and padejos. Get down to Wexford. So, and then in the actual, in the in in the chambers of South Dublin County Council, well, you will be, you will be having many kind of parliamentary rows with your newly elected, with your newly elected colleagues where you will be um, crossing the floor saying, this will not stand. Will Who not will stand. speak for Kondalkin? Yeah. Um, Is, has there been a, a much Gaelga used in the last term? No. No. Uh, last term was pretty poor, to be honest with you. Um, uh, where it was used, it was kind of tokenistic. There have been some great councillors that speak Irish, no doubt about it. When Sarah Holland, the Sinn Féin mayor of South Dublin, when she was mayor, um, Irish was really pushed to the fore. And likewise, uh, when Dermot Looney, who has recently just stepped down, he's finished his uh, time in politics, concentrating on his on his day job. He is a social democrat, but he was an independent uh, when he was mayor of, of uh, South Dublin. And he used Irish uh, quite a bit. And, you know, and uh, some former councillors like Breda Bonner uh, used it as well. But uh, I, I think... To be honest with you, there is a lack of Irish in local government, the length and breadth of the country, and I, I think we need to we need to do something about that. But having ten percent of the South Dublin County Council will have come from one Gael school. I yep. think I think we I think we have a duty to use Irish where possible, and we we have a, a responsibility to promote it in our in our day to day work as councillors. And look, it certainly was always on my. Uh, my agenda was always on my my campaign platform. You know that like I will be making Irish more more visible and and more practical uh, in in local politics. Uh, that's I'm, I'm the Green Party's Irish language spokesperson. I, I do a podcast about the Irish language with you, <laughs> so it's kind of it's um, it's important that we kind of we get that in our targets, get that in our sights, and and, and try and uh, try and affect that change. There's a detail in in local government. We don't have by elections local government and. 
so when a councillor uh, leaves there, it's, it's, the seat is filled from the pool? Yeah, it's co-option, it's called. Um, and to be honest with you, that's a very civilised way of doing things. It's the same thing we do, more or less, at the European level as well. There's not a lot of, of, of countries that, that operate on a by-election basis. Mm-hmm. But then again, there's not a lot of countries where politics is so individual and so based around personalities and persons. So at national level, if we lose a TD, if we lose a Fine Gael TD, for example, Francis Fitzgerald, has been elected to the European Parliament, she yeah. is a TD for Dublin Midwest, we will hold a by-election because we realised that a lot of people didn't vote for Fine Gael, they voted for Francis Fitzgerald. So now we need to hold a by-election. At local level, it's not so much if you lose a Green councillor for whatever reason, resignation, illness, death or promotion, Maria, they run for a, a general election or European election or get in, um, then you co-opt from the same party because yeah. at, at local level you get back to a more sort of a pure form of party politics and, and party policies. So yeah, and at European level when you run for election you submit your list of replacements. So um, some parties allow you to put down anyone on that list of replacements. You can put down yeah. your brother, your cousin, your sister, your wife, yeah. your husband, your father uh, and then other parties have a democratic process f- to elect the replacement lists. Uh, and then what happens is if somebody gets ill or takes up a different office, like for example when Joe Higgins, the socialist MEP, became Joe Higgins, the socialist TD, Paul yeah. Murphy, who was a member of the Socialist Party and a member of Joe Higgins' staff, became the MEP. And that was great. That allowed him to build enough profile to become Paul Murphy TD. And yeah. he's been doing great work. And did he switch uh, parties after he became MEP? No, they just changed their name oh, again. Right. And again, and again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, um, Socialist Party became became Solidarity. And I think they're called, are they called Worker Solidarity uh, now? Um, they, anyway, they, they operate uh, for electoral reasons. It's hard to the keep up. Of solidarity people before profit, yeah. It's like trying to know who's in the sugar waves anymore. Yeah, is Siobhan gone or is she? Because oh, I, I think the original members all, all formed after they all left and they weren't allowed to use the name anymore even though they were the original sugar babes. And they was a... This sounds exactly like the Dubliners. It's, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, that that's actually not the only comparison between those two bands. Really? <laughs> We'll do a special on that we'll one. We'll do a special on that Mucha Buena and Ronnie Drew are soulmates. They both worked with Groove Armada. I am stunned by this. The Dubliners worked with Groove Armada? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, a, on, a, on a semi-serious note, okay. the, the Dubliners brand is gone. The Dubliners will never gig again because those that were in the original Dubliners are retired. So the former members of the Dubliners are gigging now as the Dublin legends and they're touring Europe and they're just mm-hmm. bringing the same music and songs and stories to the people. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know what the Sugar Babes do. Do they do they spell it differently? Sugar Babes? I think, sugar. They, I think they, they, they have, it's, it's much as Siobhan, Keisha, I think that's, they just have the, oh, okay. the names mashed up but MSK the, something like that but MSK the, into his house similarly because Ronnie Drew was famously not actually from Dublin yeah, yeah the telling stories about Dublin there from me house in Greystones County Wicklow <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah because it's um, but yeah the um, but yeah he, he basically pointed out and Luke Kelly had always said us that they were named after the Joyce stories yeah, of course collection. they weren't actually they just saying we're from Dublin we're Dubliners but sure Sean Cannon was from Galway uh, he is from Galway um, mm. yeah like not everyone was from it's, it's, it's like they, kind of people project what they want to <laughs> onto the Dubliners you know yeah. what I mean like it's like I remember I once heard them referred to as a rab band and I was like that is absolutely inaccurate it's that's completely and totally inaccurate they're a ballad group 
Completely, and, and Luke Kelly would not have uh, accepted that, and he he made a point of kind of, uh, and uh, he was uh, he championed certain British artists as well, who, 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 songwriters who he found interesting. Yeah, they were so anti-sectarian, and they were so pro-peace, and like if you look at if you look at the work that they did, for example, working with Phil Coulter mm-hmm. around, and like and that said, like you're still singing songs about an oppressed minority in the north, of course, because social justice is social justice, and that's what yeah. you know what I mean. That's that's what drove their engine. You know, it, it's uh, you, know, you can do that without advocating violence or being. Uh, you know, nakedly sectarian and the likes, and and uh, the Dubliners were brilliant. They're absolutely fantastic. And check out the Dublin Legends if you if you ever see them gigging near you. It's the same songs, same stories. It's absolutely fantastic. Tell us now, roughly, what is and isn't within the the realms of what a councillor can do. I mean, some councillors make crazy promises. Yeah. They, some councillors have basically said they're going to stop Brexit. <laughs> yeah, seen that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, other councillors said they're going to they're going to they're going to knock give Trump a bloody nose when he comes over here. Or and and other councillors have you know made interesting comments about basically uh, about reversing global warming by flying around the world in the other direction or something. I'm, I'm not sure I saw that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going yeah, to plant some trees. Okay. I think that's a realistic aim. That we can <laughs> no, one of the things I was really careful about on the doors is not making these insane promises. Like, you know, local politics is local. And it's funny, we, we end up... Um, talking an awful lot about national politics on the doors when you're running for local election like there were people going like oh what way were you on repeal the 8th and you know weird and I was like I campaigned to repeal the 8th amendment I'm you know I'm 100% uh, pro-choice and that's that's my position on that and you know what about the status of the Irish language and all that yeah yeah great no problem you know what about you know climate change what are the big issues around climate change and all that and then when it comes to a general election they'll be asking some fix the pothole at the end of their road Yeah. so it's like we do have it a bit arse about face in that respect so I was careful not to make gigantic, humongous promises about changing the world. But one of the key issues is trying to make the areas that I represent a better place to live in for everybody. And that means a focus on biodiversity and it means a focus on public and active transport. And it means clean air. Air pollution is a big issue. That's killing more people than smoking is at the moment, you know. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we need we can do things about that. There are little, tiny little things we can do. For example, like what about not having a million cars outside every single primary school <laughs> at 10 to 9 in the morning yes. with the engine turning over because kids don't walk to school anymore. You know, let's, let's, pay, let's take that back a few steps why don't kids walk to school? Okay, let's make it safer for them to walk. You yeah. know, okay, let's make it easier for that to be the easiest option. Let's make it easier for public transport to be the easiest option. People want to do the right thing, particularly when it comes to green politics. People want to do the right thing, but like there are people out there who think they're recycling perfectly, but they didn't get the memo off their recycling company because everything's been privatized that they don't accept soft plastic anymore. So they're accidentally contaminating bins full of recyclable waste. And, you know, people, people, you know, Jesus, it just should be the easiest thing in the world to do the right thing. And that's our yeah. focus. That's what we want to do. It's very, very frustrating and how difficult it is because there's always an additional layer of bureaucracy or administration there. And we need to sort of pare that back and we need to look at what can we do at our local level, at our local council level to to make life easier, better, more enjoyable for, for everyone. You know, there's people out there commuting four hours of every day because the only affordable housing they could get their hands on was out in Mullingar or Athlone and they're still working in Dublin. And, you know, on a national level, we need to look at how do we use public housing, for example, to alleviate that problem, not just 10,000 people who are officially homeless, 
But how do we do it on a county by county basis to make life easier for, say, an entire generation of people who are locked out, still living at home with mom and dad because they can't afford the rent? Mm. And if they can't afford the rent, they certainly can't afford to save for a mortgage. And if you live in Ireland, we don't do apartment living well. We don't do um, we don't do long term leases. So every single yeah. rental in this country is a short term solution. So you kind of unfortunately have to buy a house. So how are we going to make it easier for people to rent, save for a mortgage, and eventually buy a house? And what role do county councils have to play? In that and county councils can have a huge role in that and they just have to they have to tear up the roadmap of business as usual because business as usual is not working you know the way things work at the moment is a county council gets a patch of land they sell it to a developer the developer builds a bunch of houses they sell that to rights and investment trusts mm-hmm. who you know they they pay a fortune for it so they're looking to get that back in rent so they're trying to rent at the highest possible price tag at the highest possible margin they're not paying tax on that rent you know so there's no benefit to society from that mm-hmm. whereas if developers are getting loans off the basis of future earnings why can't county councils why can't county councils take on the building work directly themselves you know yeah become the subcontractor become the contractor become the general contractor even and and you know subcontract out the building of houses and then become the landlord themselves you know and charge a fair rent that's based on the cost of the building or based on the income of the the persons going in there but that's just one of of many many solutions we've seen it work in other countries it works in vienna it works in um, it works all across austria all across other european countries uh, cost rental is something that we do want to bring forward in in local areas up and down the country and it, you know it'll be a hard slog to get it done because while everybody talks about this big green wave and how great it is we're still not mm. the biggest we're not the biggest party by a long shot um people still overwhelmingly voted for either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. You know, yeah. half the country still votes either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. So unless the other half of the country gets its shit together, that's going to happen for a long time. So we need to work with, with all parties and none and we need to, particularly at local level where you're not talking about massive compromise on policy issues or anything like that. You're not talking mm. about the dark days of going into coalition with Fianna Fáil. You're talking about putting together a block of county councillors that can work effectively. So it's a different kind of politics and it's one that we Greens, we feel we're pretty good at. So we we look, we just want to make places better for everyone to live. The role that local government has, it's been totally depowered over the last couple of years. Um, there was an electoral reform act that was passed by Phil Hogan when he was the Minister for Housing, Planning and Local Government and it completely and totally took the teeth out of councillors. Um, one of the things the Greens did uh, when we were in government was we ended the, uh, the dual mandate. Uh, yes. You know, county councillors and TDs couldn't be the one and the same person anymore. And ever since then, the larger parties have wanted to take power away from the county councillors and they've managed it and they, they gerrymandered the uh, local electoral areas to put fewer seats in so fewer smaller parties could get in. And, you know, it's a challenge. It's always a challenge to to try and utilise the powers of a county councillor for good. But, we you know, we, we're confident that we have enough of a say around budgets, enough of a say around priorities, enough of a say around strategy. The strategic policy committees in every county and uh, there's the education and training boards, there's the housing and planning you know there's so much that county councillors have a say in if not the final say and and, and that's where we're going to try and do the very best we can for the people of the areas that we represent. Excellent and on, on the on the weekend of the election during the long cricket match of it you were um, you were present on a number of Irish language broadcasting uh, you, you were really get, getting your spoke in some, there was some great content that a lot of people may not have realised they would have really enjoyed it they given it a shot yeah um, um, we uh, yeah you're right in that like it is absolutely um Incredible entertainment and uh, Radio on the Gaeltacht and Tichy Carr had some fantastic programmes on over the course of the weekend. Um, one of the things I've always found about the Irish language media is there's a level of honesty that just isn't there in the English language media. Yes. Simply because, 
like us looking for podcast guests, it's not a big pool. It's not a huge pool of people mm. we can get on to talk about stuff related to the Irish language. And it's even fewer that can do it in the Irish language. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it means that when you get people on there, they're kind of, they're they're quite honest about the, the struggle that they've just gone through. They're quite honest about the uphill battle that they face. And I, I, I had a camera put in my face when I was, at one stage, I was 24 votes ahead uh, and hanging on by the skin of my teeth to that last seat, waiting for transfers to come in. And uh, I, I'm being interviewed by RTA asking, what's the bigger picture? How are all the Greens feeling? I'm like, yeah, well, in other places they feel great, but I'm nervous here. Uh, but it was great. It was it was fantastic. So, yeah, it was wonderful. And a lot of that on Ready on the Grail that they would be podcasted. And there's a lot of great terminology in there. If you're a fowl more, it's great to listen back to that. It's, it's really, really good. Uh, and one of the key things is that, like, you know, we cover elections, uh, we cover them quite beautifully. We get a mm. few old talking heads on the English language stations. It's a bit boring. It's the same people talking about the same tropes. They can't understand where, you know, oh, you can't understand why people are finally talking about climate change. You know, and you just roaring <laughs> at the television is because we can see it, you idiot. Like, <laughs> But on the Irish language media, there's just a lot more honesty to it. It's a bit more mm. like, well, no, I've, I've actually been speaking to people and, you know, they do realise <laughs> that this is a problem, that this is an issue and this is an issue and that's not an issue, you know. Mm. But sure, look, that, that's it. We've had that and we've seen some, some, some great stuff emerge over the course of the election campaign. Massive shout out to Saoirse McHugh yes. uh, from Gwaeltacht Akla. Um, she wrote a lovely article on NOS.ie about why this is the most definitive time of our era for climate change. So if you're interested in reading a bit of Gaelga, her article is still up on NOS, uh, which is a fantastic magazine site. And uh, she's just just very narrowly missed out on, on being in serious contention there. She did brilliantly. And I just think like if she'd been focused on by the media for five weeks instead of just nine days, yeah. she really could have she really could have taken a seat. But she's an amazing, amazing person. We haven't heard the last of her. Oh, no, no, definitely I, yeah, I think she she just might be the Irish AOC. Yeah, yeah. Up. Damn right. And before we wrap up, uh, Pater, I do have a question to ask. And it's about an issue of... Uh, judgment in local government councillors. If you have a bottle of wine in one hand and a cl- bottle of beer in the other hand and you see a polished wood swing, um, do you hold the two bottles in your hand while you use a swing? Do you <laughs> do you put them down? Do you enjoy the swing? Do you just walk past? Yeah. Um, whatever you do, whatever you do, you don't go on the radio doubling down about it afterwards. <laughs> you know, if you fall off a swing, just kind of just, you know, Get that on the DL and keep it as quiet as you can. And if somebody points out that you've, you know, that that, that you've fallen off a swing, you know, just uh, yeah, I I, th- I think it's just one of those things that say like if you um like yeah if if like if if I snuck into a hotel kitchen and I was kind of at, you know, I was eating grub and I slammed a fridge on my on my door. I, I think I, I'm, I'm I slammed this a fridge on my like arm. This sounds something you've done. And then I would, and then and the are, process, you, are you speaking from experience? I wouldn't. Be, <laughs> I'd be reluctant to draw attention to that by suing the hotel. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on an active legal case being taken by a member of the Eractus. Oh, but, I, uh, I was just talking hypothetically. Yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Just because I heard a gift club sketch about it, so I assumed that you know this is a entertaining thing. Anyway, <laughs> en- enough of that nonsense. Uh, Father, okay, well, we're, we're, I think, I'm sure, I'm sure I speak on behalf of most of our listeners when I say, <laughs> when a I very say, very diplomatic most, <laughs> when I say, Mila Kulgorgis. Gurmila Magat, or Gurmila Magat, I guess Gurmila Magat, Gachtana, us. Takula Motherfuckler, us, Aishtaklish and Bud Kraila. Thanks, million to everybody for continuing to tune in and listen to the podcast. Um, yeah, you, you make it what it is, guys. And uh, I love doing this. This is, this is great. More season two, more season two, more season two. Whoop, whoop, whoop.
So until the next time, it's a slon from me. A slon shit. Motherfucker comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks to Brian for producing. Thanks to Kirsten for doing the art. If you want to contact the show, you can contact us at motherfuckerheadstuff.org. Until the next time, Slongafo. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The county councillors' receptions were known for their spice bags. <laughs>